Ladies and gentlemen, make yourself comfortable. I am Chappie. <laughs> I am Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Barton. And this is Matt. Uh, about movies. Da, 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 da. You sound insane. Do you realize that? Oh, yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. So you legally changed your name to Chappie. Legally, yes. Officially. Yeah, that's the breaking news. Well, I was just well, so inspired. I was just so inspired by that film. <laughs> film, I don't not live. movie. Yeah. Film. No, film. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And I think I think that's just the way to go. Way to, way to show your respect. Your, your new tattoos are awesome, though. Thank you. Thank you. A uh, little profane. A little profane, yeah. <laughs> Ken, I don't want to one-up you, Okay. but I have some breaking news of myself. And it's similar. I've also changed my name to Ninja. Ah, uh, <laughs> so we can travel so, the country. So you, I guess you could say that you are a ninja. I can. Yes, I'm a ninja. <laughs> um, Since no one saw that movie, everyone is super confused right now. Yes. I know, and like, did I, did I click <laughs> on the wrong episode? <laughs> so, what is this show, Kent? What is the show we're doing, Brian? What is the movie of the week this week? This week's movie of the week is Ex Machina, and I can say it right because other people said it before me and let me know that it wasn't Ex Machina, so I didn't look like an idiot when I ordered my ticket. Yeah, I'm glad I. Uh, <laughs> Same here. I'm glad I, I didn't have to correct you. I'm, yeah, I, I appreciate. I was it. preparing that the entire time. Really, yeah. it's it's Machina and not Machina. <laughs> yes, Brian. I, I'm gonna have to double check that before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, you still order your ticket from the kiosk? Ah, uh, yeah, most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Okay. So old. I'm analog, okay? Before we get into our ex machina so talk <laughs> and, uh, and a little bit of movie news, we need to have this, this conversation first. <laughs> um, the, the whole notion of eliminating human interaction from my movie going experience, which I have or just gotten well, down. Your life in general. And yeah. my life in general. My you life know what? In, yeah. I, I really think less human interaction is, is better for everybody. I mean, who, oh, wants, I who wants to talk to people? No one. No one wants to talk to people unless I you want, know the person. I want and to one day time, live in a world where, Yeah. I want to one day live in a world where the only human interaction I have on a week-to-week basis is with you guys. Exactly. And there's a, there's a bit on Seinfeld, or if it, it might be Curb Your Enthusiasm on the Seinfeld reunion, where Jerry and George are sitting in the, in the diner. They said, there's people everywhere. You can't meet them. You can't meet these people. It's true. People are all around you. You'll never, you'll never talk to them. You'll never meet them unless you have to. And and Brian, it does interest me to to hear you say that you you choose the movie kiosk as opposed to the just to the right of the movie kiosk uh, credit card machine or inside the theater credit card machine. I'm I'm a person that goes credit card machine because uh, you don't have to wait in the line. First of all, no one ever thinks to use the yeah. credit card kiosk to purchase their movie tickets. And uh, another little life hack here. If you dress like a twelve-year-old, you can buy a child's ticket. <laughs> so that's why I keep a ba- a backup uh, Toronto Blue Jays uh, little league jersey in my car for for when I go to the movies. I put it on. Is that the it, same one from the kid you murdered yes. all those years ago? Yeah, okay. same one. I had it. I had it dry cleaned, so it's not it's Smart. not immediately noticeable. But yeah, um, that well, is that's funny to, to, clarify, to say. Yeah, to clarify, I. I am with you. If there is literally one person in line, I will always choose said machine over having an interaction with the person. Yeah. But 
uh, this for for this particular film, I went to a theater that did not have a machine. So wow, I was forced to interact with a human being, and uh, and I I just cussed him out. Just did he have a just, was it? fight? You know. But uh, no, Did it was you a, still just touch his face like it was a screen. <laughs> yeah, like, I, looked, I want. It was very John Travolta with uh, with the <laughs> Let It Go girl. Just yeah, it was just all over Adina her face. Mazzel, yeah. or Adela Adele yeah. Mazim. I think. Yeah, pretty sure. I think that's. I think that's right. Yeah. Right. Okay. It, yeah. One of my favorite parts of that experience is. Going to a matinee showing on say a Monday afternoon, like I did uh-huh. for Ex Machina, and uh, and the the teller has just been so bored all day, and he just sees me walking up the stairs, walking to oh, yeah. finally a customer, and I just <laughs> I just walk straight to the kiosk, even though there's no line. You don't have to flip them the bird though when you do that. Yeah, like, I choose to though. Extra, I choose really. to. It is it's no extra charge. Just great middle finger right to his face. <laughs> hey, if you don't want yeah. a middle finger in your face in the middle of the afternoon, you shouldn't work at a movie theater. <laughs> and in fairness, in fairness, he makes like seven fifty an hour. Right. So like he's doing fine. Right. <laughs> exactly. Drives a sweet Camaro. So <laughs> this is uh, this is going to be a, a good episode, guys. Uh, this is one of the one of the few movies that's come out that people have actually About time. have actually. Yeah, it is one of the few movies that's come out, and. <laughs> But people have been emailing us for the past couple of weeks trying to get us to do an episode on this. Yeah. And it wasn't in wide release uh, the past few weeks. This past weekend was the first weekend that it was in wide release, big enough to where we could go out uh, and, and see it here in Dallas-Fort Worth without in having the, to drive 50 plex. miles. Right, in the People plex. should understand the weird kind of um, uh, paradox of living here in that it is the fourth biggest media market in the country, yet somehow, like... Um, Muscatine, Iowa gets movies before we do sometimes. Yeah. Minneapolis always gets movies before we do. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. I mean, no knock on Minneapolis. Great place. Yeah, great but, town. Families yeah. from there. Awesome. Yeah. Great town. And fairness, also in fairness, they could probably use more movies because it is like 12 degrees, nine months a year. Them, so yeah. Have you ever been to Minneapolis? No. Can, Brian? I've never been north of the, of the Red River. So okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, Minneapolis is fantastic in that if you ever go downtown, it's literally built to where you never have to go outside. Like you get out of your cab and get in your hotel. It's just, just these weird tunnels to every other building. Like um, <laughs> the whole downtown is like an airport. And you can just like never, you can go to like 18 different buildings and never experience the outdoors. They're nice. smart. But I have to stay like, if you have to do that to make your town bearable, you might <laughs> want to consider a different town. <laughs> yeah. But those two months a year with all the lakes, I mean, it's about as good as it gets, but it's two months a year. It's because it's negative 20 degrees there every month, but two yeah. months a year. That's why they, yeah. they, they have no choice but to stay inside the entire No, that's time. what I'm saying. That's yeah. what's great. You never have to go outside. It's fantastic. Yeah. I, I choose to never even go outside, let alone interact with humans. Uh, <laughs> Milwaukee has a different... So Minneapolis has the, let's just force no one to go outside. Right. Uh, Milwaukee is like, let's just make sure everyone's hammered. And then <laughs> and they won't be cold. So it's you know two different approaches, but pretty much the same thing. What does Milwaukee have to their name? I don't know. We're not talking movies right now. What Milwaukee has to their name is beer. So I can, yeah. and Jeffrey Dahmer. That's it. Yeah, like that's and, all that Milwaukee. Those who know me, uh, I'm Richard Barden the fourth. Richard Barden the third is a Marquette alum. So ah. in a way, it brought you me. 
That's right. Just there like Tommy Boy. And, and it also gave us Dwayne Wade. So oh. that's kind of a cancel. <laughs> mm, might have to sell that state. <laughs> One of our best intros, guys, on topic. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk it. about the show. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> a lot of listeners uh, emailed us. Thankfully, we could email them back and say, yes, indeed, we are doing that movie. Yeah. Next and a lot week. of you, by the way, emailed and said we needed to watch Paul Blart, so all y'all can die. That's yeah. just the worst idea ever. Well, we got I, a lot of very uh, tongue-in-cheek, sarcastic, hey, you guys should pl- please watch Paul Blart so you can mock it and so, make fun of it so and all that. I'm going to uh, beautiful Las Vegas next weekend, and I think maybe I will do a live Paul Blart bo- podcast from the Wynn Hotel. Oh, wow. wow. That would be – you could probably find like movie props and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. I might go to the Wynn and just see if they have a Blart exhibit. For those who don't know, Paul Bart 2 takes place entirely. It's a commercial for the win. So this past weekend, uh, Fast and Furious 7 is still on top at the box office. Just to recap a little bit, that Paul Blart is is catching up quite strong. I think it made $1 million uh, over the week. No, I, don't, I have no idea how much it made. But, but, uh, but good news, Fast 7 is now over a billion dollars worldwide. <laughs> It's uh, the fastest film ever to gross a billion dollars, and it's now it's made the more. Fastest film ever to a billion. Ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. That's how we get those big podcasts. Take that thoughts. film spotting. And and it's actually made more than than Frozen, thankfully. Uh, so we can. But dismiss- Frozen just can't let it go. <laughs> Am I right, Brian? <laughs> We're just firing on all cylinders, and I can't Gosh. try to keep up. I'm fully under the impression, though, and of the opinion that Frozen 2 will make twice the money that Frozen 1 made. Sure. I, I think the aftermarket life of Frozen has only just begun, Plus, uh, if you will. like 30 million more Frozen fans are born every month or something. Exactly. That's yeah. what I mean. By the time Frozen 2 comes out... The entire population <laughs> of the Earth is going to have at least seen it once. I haven't and, seen it still. Fast- I, I, I'm fine with kids' movies, but I have. I, it's the same way I feel about Disney World. And Brian disagrees with me on this, and I res- we respectfully disagree with each other. I think Disney World is awesome, and I think kids' movies are awesome. So, But unless we're podcasting them, I'll explain it through the Disney World analogy. This is the best. I have 70 Disney, hour, Disney World hours that I have allotted in my lifetime, <laughs> and I look forward to them, but I'm not going to waste them when I don't have kids. Sure. Yeah. So, and the same way I am with kids' movies, like, I'm sure Frozen's great, but I'm going to have to see it 60 times, probably in about five years. So, why burn one of those now is kind of the way I look at it. Exactly. I've always said this, and Richard, I think you and I actually actually, uh, talked about this on our radio show a couple, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, I I love the the couple, the, the newlywed couple that has a kid. The kid is two and a half months old. Oh, gotta go to Disney World. Gotta take the kiddo. Gotta take the kiddo to Disney yeah. World. Brian, okay, no. Brian does the same thing though, but leaves the kid at home, which I yep. find fascinating. That's yep. fine. That it's awesome. That's actually yeah. hilarious. But yeah. okay, we we've had a kid for two months. <laughs> now we have an excuse to go to Disney oh. World. Yeah. And okay, your your kid is two months old. He's he's basically comatose at this point. Let's let's yeah. be real. He's not going to remember anything uh, at, from uh, when he was two months old. So, uh, you know, kids four years old, okay, now he can probably handle and remember Disney World. Because if you're going to spend 10 grand to go to a Disney themed uh, amusement park, you might as well uh, have your child actually remember it. Uh, that's my opinion. Or if you want to go, you know, if you and your wife get turned on by that type of stuff, then uh, <laughs> that's, 
That's your own uh, device. The you take it back. Yeah. The, honey, the honeymoon suite at the uh, what, Great Mouse Detective Hotel or wherever you guys are. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, can we get the uh, Betty Boop room, please? Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, but I have some bad news aside from Brian's love life. Um, we have, I have some Paul Blart trivia for you guys. Okay. Number one, it's doubled its budget at the box office. Cost thirty. It's made over sixty. What? Ugh. How is that possible? And, and overseas? No, actually, forty-three domestic, seventeen okay. foreign. Just enough over dead gummit. Uh, it is co is written by Kevin James, and his co-writer oh. is Nick Bakai or Bakay. Oh no, that may not seem familiar to most of you, but Kent, you may know him as Salem the Cat on Sabrina <laughs> the Teenage Witch. <laughs> oh, I knew he was up to something these days. <laughs> Just didn't so. think it was writing Paul Bart sequels, but that sounds wasn't, about right. Wasn't he on ESPN? He did. He used to do video essays on yeah, Sports like Center. Living the Dream or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on, uh, guys, and talk a bit of movie news. I guess. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering begin. There's not much to talk about. Only a few updates we can offer this week regarding some movie news topics we've covered in weeks past. Uh, Brian, you have some news regarding Spider-Man, I guess. I do. We talked about old Spidey last week. We had five names that were up for the role, apparently, and uh, they've cast him. They just, this just came down a couple, I don't know, maybe a couple hours ago. They have cast in the role of Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, Mr. Asa Butterfield. Oh! Of, uh, I know. Sorry, dude. It, it's a tough break for all of us. We were really hoping you'd make it. Uh, Ender's no, I game. For Bieber. I was going for Bieber. <laughs> oh my gosh! What if that had happened? <laughs> Man, that hmm. only if it would also turn into a roast, like during the middle of Spider-Man. Just <laughs> they kill him off halfway through the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luda just Brutally. comes out and just destroys him. Yeah, yeah. No, oh. some guy. Some guy tries to kill Uncle Ben, and <laughs> Uncle Ben dives out of the way, and Beaver just takes it to the head. <laughs> Shortest Spider-Man movie ever, but be, but very satisfying comparatively. Yeah, eighty-nine yeah. percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Just basically therapy for America. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they cast Asa Butterfield as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. He is, of course, of Hugo and Ender's Game fame, and uh, was I think would have probably been my choice from those five names that we had last week. I, I think that's probably the one I would have. I don't know. I he, does he have Toby level charisma? I, I mean, know. who does, really? <laughs> he would have been my choice as well from those uh, five that we talked about last week. And you know what? The, the, the risk they run here is casting somebody too old because, you know, this, this movie's not going to come out for two years from now, maybe more. Yeah. And, uh, and if they want to franchise this thing, they don't want the guy being 35 uh, in, the, in the third right. part, part of the part of the uh, trilogy there. So So I'm going to go ahead. So okay. so Butterfield will probably be I don't know how old he is now, probably 18 now. Yeah, he'll, I think he's 18. So he'll be 20 when this comes out. It'll he'll be mid to late 20s at the end of the trilogy. That sounds about right as sure. far as uh what I've heard they're going for here and he was my favorite actor of the of the bunch too. I really liked his work in in Hugo and I thought yeah. it was good in Ender's Game. Uh Ender's Game didn't make any money. Uh, but he certainly wasn't the worst part of Ender's game. Weird twist when Harrison Ford landed that spaceship on a golf course. 
But you know, you got to. <laughs> but we get it now. Way. I mean, we, we didn't yeah, get now. the joke, <laughs> but two years later, we totally get the joke now, and it's hilarious. Uh, and He's Octavian, calling his shot, yeah. calling his shot. <laughs> And uh, and he was fine in that. Is he's not the reason it didn't make money. It, yeah. it just it just wasn't a story that translated to. So I'm generations. I'm gonna fall back a little bit real quick. It looks like, uh, Butterfield is now just officially the front runner. Hasn't been cast officially. Okay. He's their top pick. Like I mean, yeah. I doubt he's gonna be like turn it down. I Should bet they've made the offer this. and it's yeah. in his court. But yeah, so that's I in case like you know. Cumberbatch. In case that changes. Yeah, yeah. Cumberbatch. Yeah. We went in a completely different direction. <laughs> How does Andrew Garfield feel about this entire situation? Have we talked well, about I that? I don't think he cares. Really? I really don't. I don't think he ever really wanted to be Spider Man. Like I just I just feel like I feel like he is a pretty decent actor. I mean, I like Andrew Garfield just in general, and it never fit right, and it never seemed like he totally felt comfortable with it. And I think he is just somebody who should be uh, the third build actor in adult dramas for the rest of his life, like that kind of actor. I, I just don't feel like he was really the right. He he fit the the bill so much. Yeah, I mean he's got he, he's got to feel a little slighted though. I mean it's not like it was his fault that this acquisition happened. I mean it's part partly his fault, I guess. If you're the lead in in a Spider Man franchise and that franchise tanks um but it wasn't exactly in the in the best hands as far as uh as far as story and and direction and especially studio didn't seem like sony ever knew what to do with spider-man they just kept putting out movies because they thought they would lose the rights to the character and uh and you know here they are uh in a partnership with marvel studios and hopefully making something that people can uh can like this time around or attach sure. themselves to, but I've heard rumors that that Spider-Man shows up in the end of the Avengers, but we'll have to see. I mean, that's all rumor at this point. Supposedly, a end credit sequence has leaked for Avengers, uh, Avengers Two, and it features Spider-Man. But that it, I've heard that that was a fake, yeah, uh, trailer that Marvel might have put out there just to screw with people or something like that. Uh, I've also heard that Spider-Man may play a key role in, in uh, Civil War. Captain, or that the, makes sense. The next, I've heard that the next well. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. And they start filming that this week, I believe. Yeah. Yesterday, I think they started filming Cap 3, according to, according to Chris Evans. So I've also heard some rumor. Last week, we talked about it being called the Spectacular Spider-Man. But I heard a rumor that it's going to be called Spider-Man The New Avenger. Yeah, okay. That's not terrible. Not to be confused with Captain America, the first Avenger. This right. is the new Avenger. So I guess that spoils the the plan of what they're going to do with Spider-Man. He's going to get maybe yeah. his own origin movie or... It's kind of like Dawn of Justice. Right. And and, uh, and he's going to be involved in the Avengers Infinity War uh, here in a couple of years or three years from now, I guess. I hope this is. doesn't rule out... Uh, the the cup from Spectacular now being in, involved, you know the title changes <laughs> as the main villain. I think, I think he's playing Thanos, out. dude. <laughs> Gosh, I, I can't believe we haven't seen that cup and more stuff. He was so good. Go back and listen to Spectacular now. Richard 
actually kind of liked the movie, and he speaks highly of it. But ever since that episode, he always makes fun the, of. The more I think about it, the more I hate it. Like I actively hate it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think you've made that made that clear enough. Just in the past two weeks, made that made that quite. I clear. just wish the cup had gotten the respect it deserved as for its performance. Right. I don't think that's... At least that's... a Golden Globe. I mean, we've yeah, exactly. Oscar, but... Exactly. The tourist got Golden Globe nominations. You can't throw a couple at the, at the cup? <laughs> Gosh, I love that the Golden Globes will always have that to hang over its head. Like, yeah, yeah we're trying to be legit now. Yeah, you guys nominated the tourist <laughs> for several Golden Globes, okay? Like, we can't... Oh, yeah. gosh. On the... On the uh... It's just because they won the party with Depp and Jolie. I'm right. pretty sure it it did make like a ton overseas though, which is why yeah that movie made 67 domestic and 210 overseas, <laughs> which is why we really need like another world war just to like kind of put our foot down. <laughs> On the topic of of Avengers, just real quick, Chris Evans said that the Infinity War shooting schedule is nine months. So wow. that's Gosh. pretty gnarly to think about. Yeah, I guess yeah, the two it's two the two films. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it it's it's maybe something we should talk about next week when we when we talk Avengers. I'm sure we won't have time because we'll just be breaking down that that film, but I just can't believe that they haven't gotten uh sick of of it yet. You know, if you're Robert Downey Jr. hasn't you know, since 2000 and what, 6 or 7 yeah, since they started crazy. their pre-production and production for Iron Man, he's basically been on set for a Marvel film the entire time. Yeah, straight you know what helps with cash. That? Yeah, sixty million dollars every time. <laughs> like that helps a lot. It's not like ten million. It's so much money that he makes. And yeah, I I want to make a point. I'm going to step back real quick to what we we're just talking about. I, I'm, I'm serious about this. Um, we have a lot of listeners from all over the world and we're thrilled when we get emails from you guys from, from various countries around the world. The reach of the show is incredible to us and we, we could not be more grateful and, and kind of insanely humbled by it. But I would like formal letters of apology for the tourist having $210 million overseas. So email those in to madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com or use the contact link on our website. And I want your name, uh, what country you're from, and a just... You know, a formal apology for that. Okay, can continue. I, I haven't seen The Tourists, so I guess I can hang that over for you guys. You've seen it? You've both yeah. seen it? Yeah. yeah, I've seen it. Okay. Brian, what do you I'm think? I'm sorry. Uh, it's not a good movie. Not a good movie at all. Really? Because I'm a huge Florian Henkel von Donnerschmark fan, and <laughs> I think it fits in his canon. <laughs> I, I will say this in, in The Tourists' defense. Uh, the least face paint that Johnny Depp has worn in at least 12 years. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, not, not no face paint, but, but less, <laughs> less than the average. He tempered film. it. Yeah. He tempered it. Yeah. It's we got like a, a light powder rather than a, a full on face paint. We got a few emails this week about the, the, uh, Whitey Bulger flick yeah. that he's doing. And, uh, and so far, no face paint in that trailer, but remember Whitey Bulger did eventually go into hiding. Right. So all exactly. bets are off. Yeah. And his name true his, to the rumor that that's the only reason he took the, the gig is because he, he thought it was just good. man, Whitey. Well, that's, yeah, just, his, his that's name, right up my alley. Is, is, his is character's name is Whitey. So. Like that's, that's perfect. <laughs> Scarfy. Uh, he's, he is doing a powder sequel. <laughs> so excited about that. 
Oh, man. Cool. We are wheels off. You guys off. think our best segments are when we have literally no movie news to talk about and we're just fooling around? Did y'all see the, the Black Mass trailer that that people were asking about? I have not watched it yet. Oh, okay. I have. I have seen it. Richard, have you, did you watch it yet? Uh, yes. Any thoughts? Yeah. Okay. Yes. No. It was. It was. It was. It looks awesome. I'm super on board. And I, like I said to, I think uh, one or two emailers, I said the fact that I would be like kind of leery of this for two reasons: well, depth, and the fact it comes out in September. That's kind of weird for this type of movie. You think it would be like a November December release? Try to get some sure. Oscar bait. But like I said, the fact that Cumberbatch chose this script at kind of the height of his demand makes me think it's probably pretty good. Yeah, I think Johnny Depp needs something like this. I think we were debating a couple weeks ago. Who was it we talked about that really needed something? Yeah. Good, needed Tarantino, you know, somebody somebody that uh, yeah. could use a good movie. And it's Johnny Depp. He needs he needs to step out of this we, funk that he's in of just doing just Mordecai and and the <laughs> worst stuff you could think of. And uh, and you know they're doing another pirates movie, of course, because. Like you guys made the point with with Downey, I'm sure his paycheck on those is just insane to just show up. He could be drunk the whole time; the character is the same. Uh, Kevin Jack Barrow, you know, and uh, and and so he'll do those forever. But he needs to have some ancillary stuff that isn't transcendence. I I think Uh, we thought that like Public Enemies was going to be that movie, and it just wasn't. Yeah. That, yeah. I was going to say, that's the last time I got really stoked for a, a Depp movie. And just because I love Michael Mann, it just had so many great actors in it. And I, and Dillinger is such an interesting character mm-hmm. and uh, not a good movie. Not a good movie. Just a boring movie. Didn't work. Hey, take a guess on the uh, amount of money that the last Pirates of the Caribbean movie made worldwide. Oh. 2011 on Stranger Tides. Ter- One of not the worst a good, really ever, bad yeah. movie. Yeah, really bad movie. Uh, take a guess. Oh, just overseas or total? Total, total. Yep. Seven hundred. Kent, you got a guess? I'll go six hundred million. One billion dollars. <laughs> One billion what? forty-five million dollars. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm shocked it took them this long to do another one. Mm-hmm. Like, why weren't they Same. doing that? If yep. these are a billion, it comes out in like two or three years. I think we yeah, said that. It's further down the 2017. line. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah. It, um, as kind of interesting directors. And Orlando Bloom is back, which is big. Yeah. I mean, it seems silly to say, but like for those, I can't believe we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. I had this conversation <laughs> with a friend a couple weeks ago. Those movies, the first movie is, I think, one of the best adventure movies like ever. And it works because Depp is not the protagonist of it. He's like this crazy kind of comic Falstaffian character that comes in and out and like kind of advances the story, but mostly just kind of goofs around. And then you have this sort of grounding force in Orlando Bloom's character, which is, I know I'm, I'm just so pretentious to be talking about a freaking movie based on a theme park ride and talking <laughs> about like thematic uh, things about it. But that that's why it works. And, and Bloom's really good in that role, I think. And so, uh, so having him back is huge. And Javier Bardem is Captain Salazar. Uh, which sounds like a, like a children's pizza place, uh, is interesting. <laughs> Captain Salazar sounds appetizing. Next pizza plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I am cautiously optimistic, and I I like that uh, Gore Verbinski's not involved, at least as a director. Agree. Is he not? No, the guys that do Marco Polo, they've done that. 
Oh, okay. And then the rest of their stuff is all foreign. But they did this movie called Contiki, which I haven't seen, but I just know a little bit about. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's apparently very well regarded in terms of the direction. So I think they could if if anything can breathe new life into this series. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Pirates of the Caribbean 5 is like, I'm not going to say, I'd be surprised if it was great, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if it was like good. Yeah. And and that'd be it's, cool. It's actually called Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Yeah. I really so, like the first part. So like 12 Caribbean. word title. Of yeah. That movie. Number two is okay. Number three is not okay. And number four is bad. So they need to reverse the trend because where it's heading is uh, what we professionals like to call now you see me territory. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's scary, but hopefully they won't like just try to build a whole movie around Keith Richards cameos and actually try to have a <laughs> comprehensible story. Right. It's a, uh, well, it's a conversation we need to have because we haven't. I think it's believe it or not, we're almost. I think we're 150 episodes or something into this podcast. First mention of Pirates of the Caribbean, believe wow. it or not. I think, if I'm not that's mistaken, amazing. so that's pretty impressive. Ken, I think I saw the first Pirates of the Caribbean with you in like 2003. Probably, honestly, yeah. probably uh, it would not would not surprise me. Uh, I think I've seen each of them once. I'm not okay. even not even exaggerating. I've seen the first one a lot and and really think it's like pretty great. I remember I'm a good, I think I think the first Pirates is a really good movie and yeah. a ton of fun. I saw I've seen that one a ton of times. Yeah, but I've the, the sequel, they I know get I've seen the fourth worse. Yeah. yeah, I know I've seen the fourth one only once. I might have seen the second and third ones twice each. The but, second one uh Dead Man's Chest, that's the one with Davy Jones and the, scene. the second and third one are kind of like one big story arc. Okay, so the, yes, the, they the have first Davy Jones. the first Davy Jones movie I, I liked. Is that the one with uh, where they're in the big ball of uh, of sticks and they're, it's a giant the hamster ball and they're yeah the yeah. yeah yeah that's the second one. Yeah, that that's a pretty good sequence in that, yeah, in that second the movie. The second that's one fine. and the third one both have good action sequences. It's just like. The story is like dark when it should be light and light where it should be dark and totally it's just yep. totally weird. But yeah, if you if you chopped the second and third one up and made it a yes. one two hour movie, it would be a pretty decent movie. Yeah, I don't even remember what it's about. I remember there's something about the Fountain of Youth. Yeah, and that's all I remember. And mermaids. There were mermaids. I think. Yeah, there were. Mermaids. I think we saw it together, or maybe I we, think we did too. I think that was during the time where we were seeing a lot of midnight movies together with. Yeah a yeah. certain clan of people <laughs> and uh, literally in the clan. And uh, they, uh, no, I'm kidding. That was, hello. You guys there? <laughs> I'm sorry to leave no. you hanging on your clansman jokes. <laughs> yeah, no. Won't happen it's, again. It's, uh, <laughs> come on guys. Uh, no, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I in no way endorse. Uh, no, let's just move on. More movie news. Let's talk. There's not I've much got some, else to talk. Is there? I've got some Jaws Whedon news. Oh, okay. So Joss Whedon was interviewed recently. And a couple quotes here. I don't think they mean much of anything, but they're kind of interesting to think about. And I think they will be conversation starters for this uh, this podcast. So so first off, they they asked him if he could bring any DC character into the Marvel Universe. Who do you think he chose? Batman. Uh, Batman. Yeah, of course. He chose Batman. Come on. Stupid question. But uh, next he says... Uh, well, he actually gives some thoughts on how DC is setting up their films. 
so he, he says, I'm a fan. I get very confused when people are like, oh, you guys are in com- competition. And I'm like, competition for what? Their movies are so different. The Marvel aesthetic and the DC aesthetic couldn't be more opposite. And I love that. I love going to their movies. Which ones? Man of Steel? There's one. Uh, I want I mean, unless you count Batman, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy. I want to see how they build their team. I want to see Affleck play Batman. I'm excited about the whole thing. Any thoughts he, on that, Kent or Brian? Yeah, he's excited because they're terrible and he knows no one cares <laughs> about them right now. Uh, and, only only Bat. Let's be real, guys. Uh, we, we're coming off a week last week where we had a DC versus Marvel episode. And trust me, the Batman fans spoke out to us regarding that. And, you know, I'm fully aware that you're out there. But my point was the entire time is that the only people that care about that are rabid Batman fans. Like mm-hmm. like rabid people that anything that comes out regarding Batman, they're going to back up until they see and, and realize it sucks. And then they'll probably still this even defend how, it. And, yeah, Batman and, that's and Robin made a lot of money. And oh, it had yeah. nipples and Arnold as Mr. Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Bat, the first 30 seconds had bat nipples. Like not yeah. even – they didn't even save the nipples till <laughs> they, yeah. second act, third act reveal. Tastefully. <laughs> You know, tasteful nipples, right? It was just blatant nipples in your face as soon as credits uh, rolled in the beginning. Um, it's, but, uh, it's funny. If I was one of Clooney's homeboys that he's always pulling these laughable uh, Merryman pranks on, yeah. every time he did something to me, I'd be like, yeah, it's funny. You know what else is funny is you were in Batman and Robin and then just watch his face. Okay, so we got one more uh, Joss Whedon – or two more Joss Whedon quotes. They asked him his thoughts on the – and Joss Whedon, for those of you who don't know, is the director of the Avengers and Avengers 2 and a lot of other kind of he's, – uh, he's Nerd King. Um, they asked him what he thought about the Force Awakens trailer and he said, uh, what are your thoughts? And he said, you don't think, you feel. And I felt <laughs> the same way as everyone else. And then they asked, and this is kind of the interesting part I thought you guys would want to talk about, whether or not Joss would consider working on a Star Wars film. He said, of course I'd consider it, but I've just spent five years inside a giant franchise factory with enormous freedom and restrictions with characters I haven't created. I think I do need to find out what's in my own head first. But that makes, seems it like makes, he's, that makes the sense. door is still kind of half open, though. I think he would totally do one and will do one, personally. I don't even have like a dog in the fight. like. Uh, I I have spent um, six minutes of my life probably thinking about Joss Whedon, and I'm much less of a Star Wars fanboy than you guys, though I, I'm excited and like the films. But I think, yeah, I think he's definitely going to do one. It'll be later on, but he'll do one. Yeah, I, I agree. I yeah. it might be Episode Nine. Uh, I know. Yeah. I think J.J. Abrams has circled that, or Disney has circled him to to do that one. And, you know, take a break after seven and. and catch your breath a little bit and do nine and wrap up this little mini trilogy. They've got, they've got going on right now. If there's any sort of female led spinoff, if we hear anything about a female led spinoff of star Wars about Daisy Ridley's character or something like that, well, let's just go ahead and book Joss yeah, Wheat for absolutely. that. Right there. Rogue one is female led. Uh, the, oh, really? The Gareth right. Edwards X-Wing yeah. film is, is okay. female Felicity well, Jones. If, yeah. There's another female led star Wars film. Okay. Oh, stand totally. By, yeah. I stand by what I. Okay. I don't back down. I would. I would think he would be Even great at a, a Han Solo film. I feel oh, like he, yeah, because he writes Downey so well. He writes Iron Man so well. Yeah. That I think he would be great at that snarky. Uh, you know, fire. He's Firefly too. You know, yeah. the Mal Reynolds, Nathan Fillion character is very yeah. Han Solo. Yes. I I would love to see that 
yes. come to fruition. I, I think or, that's where yeah, yeah, that's where the Joss Whedon, that's where the money is in the Star Wars universe is the the spinoff, the one off, whatever you want to call it, the the Han Solo Han Solo origin story or some kind of uh, uh, one one of the one offs. I think that's where Joss makes his money. I don't think he's because he's doing Avengers and all that sort of stuff and. There's everything to suggest that he may want to go do something completely non-franchisey for a while after Avengers and all that stuff. But I think he would be more likely to step into a one-time thing in 2021 than he would be Episode Nine or something like that. You're probably – yeah, you're probably right. I think he'll probably still be involved in the Avengers uh, or at least what Marvel is doing as a producer, consultant uh, type person. I think he still has time to do his own stuff. You know, he did much ado about nothing at right. his house and just in between, you know, scenes literally on, on Avengers and, uh, you know, didn't even have a, a permit or anything to shoot at his house. And it's like, you know, invited Nathan Fillion and Clark Gregg over for an afternoon. It's like, let's shoot a movie and yeah. he shot what to do, what, uh, much ado about nothing. And, and it was pretty, pretty, uh, well executed for, sure. for what it was. So I can see him doing more small stuff like that, but I just think he's a franchise guy. He's so into comic books and so into, you know, he wanted he he wishes Firefly was a franchise. Let's be real. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> but what I, was he I'll, trying to do with that? I, I'll say this: I think you're you're right. Like he's a total comic book nerd kind of guy, and so he fits well in the franchise world. But you also have to think this is his first opportunity to literally go to any studio and say, I want to make this. And it's, this is something I have in my brain and they, they give him a hundred million dollars to make it. And so I kind of expect that, that's what I expect so is, yeah, is for him to have uh, a period of time where he just gets to go and make like, like much of do about nothing, but maybe on a bigger scale and just kind of, I'm going to go make the movies that I wanted to make 10 or 15 years ago that no one would give me money to make. I don't know. I just don't think you can resist Star Wars. I just don't think yeah, you yeah, can. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think Episode Nine is not where Joss yeah. Whedon is going to go. I think he will, will go. So, I think you both are totally right. He's. I, I would be. I would be kind of surprised, honestly, if he doesn't do a Star Wars movie at some point or another. I just think that's going to be one of these uh, anthology. I think that's what they're calling it, right? The anthology yeah, yeah. films, rather than. Episode nine. I I feel like JJ is going to do episode nine. I know he's. I know Ryan Johnson's doing doing eight, but I kind of think JJ's coming back for nine. And I we've heard lots. I, I almost I heard, thought that would have been confirmed. So I'm pretty sure Lucas is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. God. <laughs> I mean, this is a conversation for another day. Hey, ma'am, fam. Question for you: Do you own a small business, or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast.
Hey, what's up, ma'am fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Let's talk uh, ex machina, guys. You are dead center of the greatest scientific event in the history of man. Do you have a name? Ava. Answer me this. How do you feel about her? Her AI is beyond doubt. No, nothing analytical. Just how do you feel? I feel that she's amazing. I will let Richard Barden start this review. Really? Okay. Yeah. Richard, uh, thoughts on Ex Machina? Keep it general, spoiler-free right now, and we'll get into that later. But general thoughts. Yeah, so I was uh, pretty excited for this movie just because weird uh, kind of thing of my – a phase I'm in lately is this type of film, this kind of sort of sci-fi is kind of my latest kick. I'm on like – I've made no secret of my just intense love uh, for her on uh, on this podcast and I – you know, this looked like sort of a much more intense version, but kind of exploring some of the same themes and existing in a similar type universe and all that. So I was excited, and Alex, I'm a huge fan of the beach. No, not not at all. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, but obviously Oscar Isaac is fantastic, and I like Donald Gleason a lot. And I was I was very excited for this, and some of the buzz seemed cool, and I I heard some some good reviews for it, and then uh, so I went and saw it. And uh, I I thought this was a pretty good little movie. Like I I had um, I don't know I think I'll like it more the more I think on it. Um, it's it's got a very foreign vibe to it. Uh, in that I don't know if it's it almost seems like the script was translated. If that makes sense, uh, yeah. some of the dialogue. But uh, but that that's fine. It it advances the story fine, and it isn't. And the the acting's really really strong, as one would expect from. Uh, from the cast, and uh, I uh, I really enjoyed this. I, I liked some of the themes that it explored. I liked uh, the look of it a lot. I thought the effects were really really cool, and uh, some of the cinematography was really really cool. And uh, I think, yeah, I'm not. I didn't like Dread. I know Kent, you like Dread quite a bit. I didn't like it as much, and so I I I don't know like how much I like Alex Garland as a writer, but I I really kind of liked a lot of his choices as a director. And uh, enjoyed this enjoyed this movie quite a bit. It's it's one of the best movies I've seen so far this year. It is April, so who knows where that'll yeah, be? But sure. I I liked it. I liked it a lot. So so Brian, let's hear yours. I'm 100 percent with you. I love I love smart sci fi, and we've talked about that 
many times on the show. Um, I grew up just as a I grew up in a sci-fi kind of house. My dad was a uh, an, an amateur sci-fi writer uh, growing up, and so I kind of was raised on this this sort of stuff. And uh, so I'm a huge fan of of advance i feel like we're in a kind of a golden age for sci-fi and we any a movie like this just advances that in my opinion i i was really stoked about it. it's a creepy trailer um i was like because i when i didn't know anything about it i kind of thought it was going to be a horror movie which i am adamantly against all horror movies as i've i've said many times uh, i think they should be outlawed uh no i'm, I'm kidding about that i just horror movies not my thing but but uh so, cr- super creepy trailer it this movie is really it's not quite intense so much as it's just uh, it just keeps you uncomfortable the whole time. Richard, I thought that that note about uh, seeming like it was translated is a really good note. I had some of that too. I thought the quote unquote weaker parts of the movie, which there aren't many, are some of some of the dialogue just seems a little uh, yeah. a little stilted or or maybe just a little bit. Uh, out of touch, I guess. Just just a little, not not bad, not super noticeable or anything like that, but but enough. It, and uh, it, it reminded me, and this is like probably the most pretentious thing I'll ever uh, say on the podcast. But it reminds me, like when you're reading a a really like famous like Russian book, and the plot is great, and you're really into the characters, but just some of the you can tell, like you're reading Brothers Karamazov or something, and like you're not fully hooking into it as if it was written originally in English, even yeah. if it's a beautiful translation. And that's sure. what this was too, which is weird because I mean it was obvious. I mean Alex Garland is English, so I, you know he, he obviously wrote this in in English, but uh, yeah, so. But yeah, that was that was the only kind of off-putting part to me. But if sure. you can kind of get past that, this is an awesome movie. Yeah, yeah I go agree. ahead, continue. I totally agree. No, uh, really good stuff, and uh, it kept the the kind of tension going throughout. Kept me uncomfortable and on the edge of my seat in just the right ways. Um, I think it's really. I'll say this: I think it's much more difficult, and maybe this is just because I'm not a horror movie fan. But I think it is much much more difficult to create a lasting creepy thriller kind of movie than it is an effective horror movie. Um, just because you don't have, you can't rely on the stuff that makes it, that makes you freaked out in a, in a horror movie the way you can in a thriller. Does that make sense? Does that sound super ridiculous? I just think it's very difficult to make this kind of movie to be, to be creepy and tense, but not ever like verge into the horror kind of uh, territory. The goal of both of those films is to discomfort the audience. Right? Yes, and, absolutely. And a thriller yeah. does it one way, and a horror does it the other, yes. and, and both can be effective. And sure. neither you nor I are are horror movie guys, but I certainly respect the ones that are really great. And I think that the fact that people are into them is super disturbing. But I understand. No, I'm kidding. But uh, I think you're right, and I th- I do think. Uh, not to say it's like a cheaper thrill a horror movie is, but there are less good thrillers than there are effect. There are less effective thrillers than there are effective horror movies. Totally I would, agree. I think, but Kent would be able to speak to this better than you and I because we see maybe one horror movie a year, and, <laughs> and we and we hold each other and cry uh, <laughs> right. through, yeah. throughout the entire thing. So yeah, and it's always in the woods. It's just it's it's no good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all that to say, I thought this was a really good movie, and I am I'm stoked that. Uh, that this is the type of film that's getting released right now that we got to see it too. Cause this does seem like the kind of movie that 
would uh, just get dumped in a you know to a, a a thirty theater release, and we would never get to see it until it's it came on well Netflix too. or something. Yeah, it's made a lot of money, which again goes to my point of limited releases bullcrap, and we shouldn't we should stop doing that in twenty fifteen. Stop it. Give people the opportunity to see to see your movie. Um, I'm really excited. I, I'll say this: I think this movie is really good. It is uh, it is also one of the best movies that I've seen this year. But again, it is April, so there's that. For me, more than anything, it gives me a lot of hope and anticipation for what Alex Garland is going to do next because this is a really good movie. Uh, wh- what are you going to do for me next time around when you well, – this is really the first time he's ever directed a film. So uh, I want to see – and, I, and I'm, I'm really I, – I think his film writing credit – while you're right, Richard, is not the greatest credits in the world, but he's got a lot of really interesting stuff to his yeah. name, and it's, oh, it's fairly diverse. Yeah, swings. so I, I really, I really dig that, and so I want to see. Like I'll say this, like I said, I, Ex, Ex Machina is, is is a really good film. I'm more excited about what he's going to do next because I think this kind of paves the way for some really great filmmaking, and I'm always on the look for like that next uh, good or great uh, sci-fi film director. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to see the uh, on, cinematography on this was great. Sorry, Kent, to interrupt you. Just, I'm, I, the cinematographer is a guy by the name Rob Hardy. Uh, he's done like some Jason Statham movies and a uh, movie Broken with Tim Roth. This guy is someone to watch too. I think Rob Hardy. Remember that name, Kent. Continue yeah. your point. I apologize. Yeah. yeah. No, I I want to back up a lot of what you guys said uh, and say, Brian, to your point. This is the best movie of the year, in my opinion, so far. Uh, I don't know if you said it's one of the best. I can't think of anything that would that would trump it right now for me personally. What 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 comes to mind for you well, as far as yeah? Oh yeah, Seven might be my number one movie of the year at this point. Just just from a when I get down to like actually making the top ten list, I don't know if that will if it'll stay in the top ten, but. Um, it's tough to top that for me yeah. right now. I just, and I, I don't know. I, did you see Chappie? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, this is in my personal uh, list that I've got going in my head. On that, this is number one. Sure. Uh, it's, it's this is a better movie. It's, it's hard said. pressed it for is. me to it, imagine it, it a uh, a what a uh, eight months of the year that we're gonna have where eight movies or nine movies push it out of my top ten. I don't see that happening. This is this is a shoe in for my top ten. This is exactly uh, why I go to the movies. Uh, yeah. Films as, like as this. As I was watching, I was just thinking, I really like this a lot. Kit is is. I was I was losing yeah. my mind. This is yeah. this is like yeah. the perfect movie for you. I yeah, think. you're absolutely right. And and speaking to the cinematography, Richard, you mentioned uh, less the cinematography to me than the production design. Yeah, which true. made the cinematography just effortless. Uh, you know, how point. hard was it to shoot that set that yeah. uh, Alex Garland had had thought true. up and the just the world that he had built? It, it, it was just gorgeous. Every aspect of this film is beautiful, um, in in a creepy way, beautiful. Uh, and I want to speak to your points also about horror and thriller, because I think the main difference between a horror. And a thriller is a, a horror movie, you know what's coming, and it scares the crap out of you. You know that when that girl walks around that corner, that something's going to jump out. And that, that, that anticipation scares you. Uh, but with a thriller, 
you just keep on guessing. You just don't know what what's going to happen next. So I think that's the main distinction I put. That's a really good in thriller. Is that uh, horror movie is just so in your face. Uh, you know pe- this guy's going to die. You know this girl's going to die. You know you know what's coming, and that and that uh, inherently is scary. Whereas with a thriller, you just know there's a twist coming, but you don't know where it's going to come from. And this movie had a lot of that to me more thriller than than horror for sure yeah i wouldn't uh i wouldn't have thought you would have thought it was a horror by the trailer so that's interesting to hear you uh was there blood in the trailer yes yeah there was but uh it's a creepy trailer it's It's a really creepy trailer yeah it it accomplished the goal of of piquing my interest that's for sure sure but um this was just so intelligent and you know this like you said is the first film that alex garland has directed uh officially and his next film is called Annihilation, which has been announced. It's also a sci-fi uh, thriller. I'm in. And uh, it's about a biologist who signs up for a dangerous, secretive expedition where the laws of oh, nature I, don't apply. I read this book. I read this book a couple uh, – like two or three weeks ago. I didn't oh, realize cool. that they were making it into a movie. It'll yeah. be It'll be a much – it's an interesting book. It could be a really good movie. It'll, it should be a better movie than the book. Let's put it that way. And Ex Machina is also a book. It's uh, written by Alex Garland. It's this is his baby. You can tell this is like what he has been trying to probably get made for a while. Uh, he's a he's a guy I've been a fan of. You know, of course, he's a a person who has worked with Danny Boyle a lot in the past. Uh, right. Twenty eight days later and Sunshine, which I'm fans of both those films. Twenty eight days later, more so for what it meant to guerrilla filmmaking and. You know, making a, a film on a VHS camcorder, basically, which sure. is uh, what uh, 28 Days Later was shot on. But um, but Sunshine has a lot of conversation uh, that that it deserves. And I don't know if y'all have seen Sunshine. Have you? Both it you? has been a very long time, and I did not care for it the first time around, but I don't think that I was in the right mindset yeah mindset to watch it's, it. it's been it's, on my list for a long time of like i need to go back and and watch that oh absolutely I mean, it's one we we need to revisit maybe on a throwback it is it's pretty it came out at a time where a movie like that wouldn't get a lot of recognition i mean like transformers came out that year and other and other stuff so it got overshadowed by you know the blockbusters of the day but killian murphy is does a great performance in it rose burns also also in it, Chris Evans, uh, one of the first real things we had seen in him in besides Fantastic Four. Really, really cool movie. And, Every time I uh, hear the it, ending is just is pretty phenomenal. So uh, it's it's something we need to revisit, or y'all need to revisit on your own time. Sure. Every time I hear the title, I always, even though I know it's not, I always think it's Twenty Eight Days with um, Sandra Bullock and O'Malley, <laughs> yeah. namesake sure. Mike O'Malley. Uh, and so I always go there and then go, Oh no, it's the one with Killian Murphy. Come on. You're, you're a professional Richard. Come on. Yeah. 28 days later was a really cool zombie movie. What kind of kickstarted zombies and and that and Dawn of the dead in 2004, I believe Zack Mm -hmm. Snyder's Dawn of the dead. That's one of the very few horror movies that I, that I like. I think it's a really good movie. Yeah. And, uh, you love Zack Snyder. You're on the record. Yeah, obviously my, (laughs) You know, I'm the, scene, I'm the Zack I, I will Snyder say, fan on this podcast. The scene in Dawn of the Dead where they're sniping the celebrities off the roof of the Walmart or whatever is pretty funny. There, there's some classic moments in Dawn of the Dead. I'll go, I'll defend Dawn of the Dead any day. That's I'm with you. But I love Dread too. He only wrote Dread, and uh, and the writing was the least uh, 
I guess the least um good. No, not good. The least <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to the least praiseworthy thing about the the screenplay was the least praiseworthy thing about Dread. I think the visual the visuals were were great. The direction was actually really slick. Uh, it's easy to make a movie like that and just make it a total cluster, like they did with RoboCop and Total Recall. Sure. You know, and uh, and Dread <laughs> is one of my favorite sci-fi movies ever, if not my favorite sci-fi reboot of all time. I think Dread is is great, and I think that Dread led to a lot of the success of Ex Machina uh, because not only the fact that this stars Oscar Isaac and Dom Hall Gleason, who are in Star Wars together later this year, so you know fans are probably already looking uh, into checking out more of their stuff, but. Uh, the the fan base that Dread has has gotten in the past couple of years has surely led to a little bit of the attention that Ex Machina has gotten uh, this year so far. So let's talk about this film. Um, this is one of the most intelligently crafted science fiction films that I've ever seen. Uh, like I said, it's it sounds like he or it seems like he was working on this for a long time. Uh, it came out in tw- 2015. His last movie was Dread, which came out in 2012. So it had to have been a good three, four year gap there between projects. And you can tell he took his time with this one. I kind of disagree about the dialogue a bit, only in the fact that this is a futuristic dystopian future movie. And I think some of the tilted dialogue or stilted dialogue, as you put it, Brian, was sort of my interpretation of how he thought people would talk in the future. Does that make sense? You know, like surely – Surely in 2025, we're not going to have the same slang terminology or even tone to what we say. I mean, go back and watch stuff. We'll from, still say selfie, though, right? Of, of course. <laughs> right. Uh, selfie and uh, and Bay. Bay is my favorite. <laughs> and Squad. Bay, yeah, Bay will be. We need to go back and introduce and, and put Bay into the Constitution. <laughs> Get that Kickstarter going. We the Bays of the United States mm-hmm. uh, in order to form a more bayful union. Um, but, I mean, it felt like – it felt more thought out than just uh, I'm going to write what I feel here uh, rather than he wants to write what these people would be saying if this was a real situation. But uh, the performances, you know, the the few that we get were great. I think Oscar Isaac and Tom Hall Gleason had – Great chemistry, yeah. uh, on on set and man, Oscar Isaac. You know who he reminds me of, and this dawned on me the other day. Oscar Isaac is if David Crumholtz had never done the Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a really random. <laughs> does he not remind you of David Crumholtz at all? He does. He's, guess, he's yeah. Al Pacino and David Crumholtz love child. But David Crumholtz must hate Oscar Isaac because they're they're very similar actors. But but David Crumholtz has made too many terrible decisions with his career, and he's just stuck in in character stuff. Like luckily, Seth Rogen really likes him, so Seth Rogen has been putting him in a lot of his new stuff. He's still getting those numbers checks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's still Bernard from the Santa Claus, so you can never he can never let that down. That's that's what he probably hates the most. When I was in uh, college, I was coaching. Um, I coached high school. A- yeah, I had to coach uh, high school basketball, and uh, there was a kid on the, one of the other teams that was in our division that looked exactly like David Crumholtz. 
And so he scored like, I don't know, like eight to nine points in a row. And I screamed out like, will somebody guard Bernard out there? And he just like, and then I forgot that, you know, he's like a 16 year old kid and yeah. just like looks over me like, my name's Jeff or whatever. Like that. so that's when the moments you're like, come on, you're an adult, Richard, get your crap together. I think what works well with, with ex machina on a, on a most basic level is that it's not overthought. It's, it's as simple as they yeah. can possibly make this. And I, and I felt the same way about her as well, because in the past, with with films like AI, for example, mm-hmm. it's just so overwhelming. The world yeah. that they build, the they they say, you know, they make you think for for artificial intelligence ever to exist, it has to be in this just very dystopian future. I know I used that term earlier because that's what this exists in is just a future that uh, that we've yet to encounter. But this, um, they kept it small. And, and, you know, there are thrillers in the past that have had that same sort of mentality, like signs, for example, where the, you know, they, they keep you in the, in the farmhouse the entire time and they don't, they don't let you see the outside world. So there's something inherently creepy about being in one place for an entire length of a film too. But, uh, this did not suffer from being overwhelming or overdone or overthought. It it was just right in the pocket there of, of intelligent and also homey and simple and uh, and so did you, Brian? Did you have the the same thoughts as, yeah. as to that? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think you one of the best ways you can tell, or one of the best examples of of just exactly what you spoke to, is that it's like 110 minutes long or something right. like. Yes. That. I mean, it, it's less than two hours long because there is almost no prologue and no epilogue, basically. Uh, it, uh, it, it, I it jumps straight a bit into on the on the epilogue part. We'll talk about that in well, spoilers. Well, uh, okay, it's but the okay the epilogue is is one scene that's I don't know yeah. thirty seconds long. Like yeah. It, yeah. that that's it's basically a credit sequence almost. You know, like it's there's no there's no big uh, lead up to what's happening. No origin. No uh, fifteen minutes trying to get ready. He he wins the contest. "Quote unquote," the you know the the fake contest, but he wins his contest in the first thirty seconds of the movie, and within a minute he's in an airplane or a helicopter, and yeah. it's off, and we're going. and And the conclusion is very similar. It's uh, there's no fooling around. There's no uh, extra stuff added, and I think that's like this is why this sort of film is better suited to an independent small release rather than a big blockbuster. Cause I think if this was a, if this was at a studio and it was, uh, you know, had a, had a huge budget and was being directed by a, a more well-known director. I think this movie is probably two hours and 20 minutes long or something like that, because it's, we've got to, we got to make sure the audience understands all this stuff. We can't just trust that they'll, that they're not idiots and that they'll know what's happening. Um, which I think is what this movie does oh so well is that just trust that we the audience aren't morons and we can pick up quickly what's happening and we're we're smart enough to follow what what the you know what's happening on the screen without them explaining it to us exactly line for line this massive exposition this is what's happening you know so i i'm 100 percent with you kent this movie also had a really timeless quality to it immediately it felt that way. There was nothing in here that seemed 
I know it's it's crazy to say seemed dated at the time, mm-hmm. but there's almost um, a feeling you get when you watch a movie uh, that tries to go about this subject matter that you feel this is not going to hold up in a year, let alone uh, in in five ten years when we are looking back at at science fiction. You know, Chappie, for example, felt yes. just we're going to go back and watch Chappie and be like, we we already are like that, but. The people that liked it are going to be like, what the heck were we even doing right. at that time? This does not have that feeling. This is, this feels like something we're going to be talking about for the foreseeable future. And, and her had that same quality as well. Yeah. And it, it, it feels real. It, it's yeah. really I watched weird. her since that Oscar season two years ago? No, I haven't. I, I watched really it should. one time, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brian, you should watch that again. I like, will. The more you watch it, it is so freaking good. Yeah. That's yeah. probably my favorite movie the last five years. I think hers advantage, the movie hers advantage was that it really explored how AI, artificial intelligence can affect us on a purely emotional level. Mm -hmm. And it completely eliminated the need for a physical being, a physical robot, if you will, to distract us from the interaction we have with AI. I think it's a more realistic way to go about it to say that uh, you know, Siri, we already have. That's a very, very basic AI that we have in our pockets right now, but it's AI nonetheless. But I think that's m- more of a realistic way to go about it and a uh, way to interpret it through, uh, you know, voice, voice activated uh, technology. And, um, and I think that's pretty close, you know, not, not too far away. And, and you can go listen to our, her episode, listeners if you haven't we do have an episode on that on our website i don't think it's on itunes anymore but uh but look that up if you want our full thoughts on her but this movie ex machina played way more onto the physical attraction aspect of of artificial intelligence and what that would do to us uh if we're physically confronted by an ai dom hall gleason's chemistry with uh, the AI itself was also good, and I think that was important to to show us that uh, her name is Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anna Karenina. Right. Oh, Seventh Son. Duh. Um, she's uh, she's uh, <laughs> Michael Fosband- Fosbender's lady friend. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Well, because uh, I read a very pretentious TMZ. <laughs> by, by the way, Dalmahal Gleason, really good American accent. Yeah, yeah, no joke. Hardly even remembered that yeah. he was Scottish. Absolutely. Or Irish, or what is he? Irish, yeah. Until after, until midway through the film when I realized he was doing an American accent. But Donald Gleason is great. So He's a great actor. Absolutely. I'll, I'll check out anything he does. But Too bad he doesn't have a soul, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You would know. You're Irish, aren't you, Richard? Uh, yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I am. Uh, so this movie did keep me guessing and I want to go into spoilers now because mm-hmm. we need to, we need to go into some spoilery stuff now. So go see Ex Machina if it's still in theaters and, and get back to us on your thoughts, listeners, please feel free to email those in, tweet those in to us. We really enjoyed it. And if you have seen the film, please stay tuned. And- this is among, I might be number one, most requested, um, episode that we do so so yeah. please those of you who emailed you there's a lot of you like email your thoughts because uh there's a lot of interest in this like uh, obviously i think people are want to hear us do avengers and stuff like that but if like kind of an independent type film uh, 
or not so much studio independent, but like its own thing, not not of a I mean it's a novel, but it's not like a super well known comic book or anything or T V show or I've never I don't think I've ever seen people like demand we do an episode on that quite like this. So yeah. so uh we'd love to hear some of your thoughts on it. Okay, let's let's hit these spoilers, guys. I wanna ask you specifically how how much of this was unforeseen? How much of this could you not tell what was going to go down? I felt, and my one criticism of this film is I, I found myself guessing about things that were going to happen, and those things ended up happening. I found it to be a bit predictable uh, as far as where they went with the plot towards the towards the later end of the of the film. And for example, um, the the power surges. When, whenever the house would lose power and, you know, the red lights would come on and they would say, uh, you know, we've lost power, systems will reboot momentarily or whatever. And I just knew that there was no way that that was really a power surge, you know, that, 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 that had to have been part of the system that Oscar Isaac or, uh, Nathan had built into his house, into his test, uh, if you will, to to be able to read Caleb or Domhnall Gleeson's character in this in this thing, there's no way there would have been that big a flaw in this system before he, you know, when he goes out of his way, you know, it's, it's, I saw parallels to Willy Wonka too in this movie. I don't know if you guys did as well. You know, Willy Wonka, uh, you know, goes out and finds people to come check out and judge his factory for what it is, and. Uh, sure. And so I found a really weird parallel there with with Wonka and in this movie, but I just I just wouldn't have thought there would have been that big a flaw in the system. You know why would you not correct that flaw and then bring somebody in if if the thing's gonna lose if the house or system is gonna lose power every so often you gotta think that that's a huge risk you're taking if you're putting somebody with an AI alone together for that long amount of time. Did you sure feel that sure, at that's all? That's a MacGuffin. Yeah, that's a total MacGuffin, for sure. Yeah. Richard, how did you feel that this film worked as a satire? Because uh, we have the NSA illusions when they, uh, when Dom Hall Gleason's company, or him himself, because he's a, a tech genius. By the way, more believable tech genius than Mark Wahlberg, by the way. I, I don't know why. <laughs> I, just, oh I just bought him more as a, as a nerd oh, inventor. You than PHP, you and Java. I don't know. Let's see. <laughs> He uh, <laughs> less believable as a Texan, though. Oh, I'll, going, I'll say that. <laughs> but I, I, but I found it really yeah. intelligent that they, if you're gonna gather data from everybody through their cell phone cameras and uh, Google searches, etc., to build them into to use that data to create AI would would make sense if you're yeah. gonna if you need a representation of of the entire world and how people think and, and act and feel, uh, you know, no better place than the internet to, uh, find out what people think and, uh, and feel by just things they search simple thing. And, and I thought it was also really clever about, I've always wondered how they would get a, an AI to emote, uh, because one of the more stilting, uh, aspects of AI, the film was the fact that Haley Joel Osment's character doesn't blink emote at all you know it's just total dead frozen face the entire time and um and it works for that film but i think advanced ai would you would almost not be able to tell that it was 
artificial. You know, it would be Android like or uh, or replicant like, if you will, if it, for a Blade Runner reference. Uh, therefore, for our sci-fi lovers. But Brian, how did you feel this worked as a satire to you know current events, things that are going on right now? I think it worked really well on that on that aspect. Yeah, I thought they did it. I thought they did a good job, and I I think you mentioned earlier the simplicity of uh of the narrative and i again i think that's what works best for it whether it's the the satirical nature or the narrative itself or even the science of this whole thing um the best way to do that unless you're going to get really bogged down in in minutia basically which can work it, it can work it's not uh as universal i think at times but you can do that like with the science of, of it all uh, the best way to do it is to be smart, is to create something smart, just throw it out there, and uh, and if you do it right, then you, no one will question it. And that's the thing. I have no idea how, how realistic any of this – the science aspect of this is, you know, but it's so simple and so uh, so well thought out that I, I don't have any room to question it. And and so I think that's that's the, the beauty of the whole thing is the, the simplicity. So again, whether that's playing – that it just kind of simply alludes to uh, the NSA and that that society uh, and does that very well, same as it does with with pretty much every other aspect of the of the narrative, everything that it's talking about. It's just it it's very well it's very well designed. Uh, like I said, I think some of the dialogue is not great, but as far as like the the storyboarding and the mapping of this movie, it's it's near perfect, I think. And, and so I think that plays into your question about the, the satirical nature as well as into everything else. It's just really well laid out. Yeah, it's not only meant to be a clever science fiction film, but it works on more levels right. than just simply right. a, a thriller or a science fiction film. So I, I appreciated that. Something else I wanted to ask you about, and, uh, and this goes on a little bit with the predictability, but Nathan's maid or servant Kyoko yeah. uh, I was very curious about how she was going to end up what what her role was going to end up being in this entire story mm-hmm. and my guess I, I wrote it down on my little notepad in the theater when it, when it happened just because I wanted to remember that I thought this I thought she was going to be you know the line that Oscar Isaac said, gives about her not being able to speak a, speak a, uh, a lick of English because Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't want her, you know, being a spy. I thought for sure she would right. like, she gives some looks like she's very front, uh, front frame, uh, in the theater. You know, she's very close to the camera in a lot of scenes with, uh, with Caleb and Nathan speaking dialogue in, in the background and, yeah. and the look, some of the looks she gives, like looking back at them, uh, you know, rolling her eyes almost, I, I felt like for sure she was going to be a spy that could speak English and that she was going to use all this information or, you know, steal the AI herself even and escape and, uh, you know, sell this to the government or whoever she worked for at the time. I thought, I thought she had a role. Um, you know, the role ended up being something vastly different than that, but I thought it was clever to put that assistant character in here just to give us something sure. else because you know, she wouldn't be there unless it was for a reason. So yeah. what what did you think she was going to be? My my thought the entire time was with all three of the uh of of those characters, Oscar Isaac, 
Well, it's Nathan, Caleb, and what was the Kyoko. maid's name? Kyoko. Nathan, Caleb, and Kyoko. I spent pretty much the whole movie going back and forth on uh, which of them was an AI. <laughs> like I had – for a long time, I really thought that we were going to find out that Caleb was an AI and that he was the the – the AI in the, in the Turing test. Um, I think they set that up kind of very nicely, uh, to give you that, that question. I, I was pretty sure that, that, uh, Kyoko was an AI pretty, pretty early on, but then there was a, a period where I kind of shifted and started to think maybe she's, maybe Oscar Isaac is just like a dummy in all this, this, and, and he's an AI. Like I, I just, it had me questioning, everybody's humanity i guess which is genius which is exactly i think what was you know what they were trying to do what alex garland was trying to do um kyoko to me was the most obvious ai personality to the point that i was kind of convinced that someone else was going to be under her control i guess or there would be another ai somewhere in there uh to really take it over the top. So I yeah, wasn't super no. surprised when it, when, when we found out that she was an AI, that, that seemed not necessarily obvious, but the most likely thing, I guess. Yeah. I, me. I felt the same way until there's a scene, like I said, where she's close to the camera. She's, I think she's pouring drinks for them. Yeah. And the look she gave, and it's very like in, in, embedded into my mind that that look she mm-hmm. gave to me said, I'm human. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and I'm going to get you, you know, like I think I, th- I thought sure. at the time that Garland wanted us to think she was an AI only to enhance the reveal later that she was in fact, not sure. an AI, <laughs> you know, does that make sense? So, uh, yeah, that so, makes sense. I so gotcha. I, uh, I was, I was impressed with how that came together at the end, but you know, there's a lot to like here. Um, we could go on longer. Uh, I think we've, We've gone over an hour now on on this, but I, I want to say a couple sure. of, of other things before we before we give grades and, and all that. And I'm sure you guys have a few more thoughts. The like you said, Brian, the the fact that it had you questioning your humanity, I think that was great. And we see that in yeah. in the Caleb character when he goes and literally slits his wrist because right. he, he you can tell he's conflicted. To know like what is what is human, you know, am I sure. even a human, you know, and uh, I guess that that's what I got out of that scene was him doing that. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. To discover or rediscover his humanity. Yeah, and, a, look, a good thriller and and even a good horror movie. One of the goals should be to make the audience feel what the characters are feeling, and then to make the characters feel what the audience is feeling, and let the let the but the audience's own fears play out in some way or another on screen. And I thought that – I think that's one of the places where this movie works so well is by setting up this world in, in which you start to – you're trying to figure out what's happening and you're questioning everything that, that's going on. And then you see that play out more and more and more in Caleb's own mind and in his actions. Uh, and that's that's kind of – I think that's the, the brilliance of, of the movie. It hits that note. I mean that's an old – that's a very tried and true way of, of making uh, a, a thriller work. But this one just happened to do it really, really well as opposed to where – I think that's where a lot, of, a lot of thrillers kind of fall apart. Yeah, and uh, one line I want to reiterate that, that Nathan says, Oscar Isaac, he says that 
artificial intelligence is a matter of when, not if. It's an evolution, right. not an invention. So it's an it's a sad inevitability that we're going to get to this point eventually. And I I really you know it's crazy to think, but I really liked the fact that this brought to attention more that uh the functionality, sexuality, you know, physical manipulation how important that is for AI to become anything significant. It's it's more than just tell it what you want to it to Google and it'll Google it for you. You right. know, like humanity is so much more than just a, like being able to think about things and remember things and and have uh, innate talents and abilities. It, there's so right. much so much nuance to humanity, really. And uh, this did a fantastic job of of exploring that. Sure. And uh and let's talk about the end, guys. Um how did you think it was gonna end? Let's be real. I thought uh I thought for sure uh Caleb and uh and Ava were gonna escape. But uh and I thought they were gonna kill Oscar Isaac, but it didn't end up happening the way I thought it was gonna happen. Sure. And uh so how did you think it was gonna end? Uh Brian, first. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought uh, I thought we'd probably get some sort of, uh, if not a happy ending, then a sort of moderately happy ending, I guess. But I didn't think there was any way that Nathan could come out of this alive. So that 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 part played out quite well. But yeah, uh, the, I thought the shift maybe on that. <laughs> honestly to go back to my Willy Wonka parallel, believe it or not, I thought maybe Nathan would give this to Caleb because he was in sure. fact the, that's, the that's smartest true. coder in the galaxy or if you, whatever <laughs> you want to call it. So, uh, there was a part of me that thought that was a possibility as well, that Nathan was going to give this up and let Caleb be the guy that makes artificial intelligence what it is. So, uh, Richard, how did you think this was going to end or how did you want it to end? I can't answer the second question. I, I had really no, um, desire in any direction for it. I was really kind of passive while watching it, but how did I expect it to end? Um, I thought there'd be one more twist probably on who exactly was AI and who wasn't. There was probably one less twist on that than I expected. Um, I'm trying to think that's about it. I thought, yeah, they would definitely escape, but I didn't see the, you're right. I, I've, you start realizing, uh, with 20 minutes left that Nathan's not going to make it, but, uh, you know the the means of which that will happen is is still suspenseful and and uh, and was pulled off well. I thought I thought it was a really pretty climactic ending. I wasn't uh, I wasn't disappointed. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it ends up that Ava herself uh, and Kyoko end up killing Nathan and. It's it's always something that you hear about, you know, when people talk AI, like, isn't that the most, uh, I guess, warned about part of this all, that they're going to end up killing everybody, you know, they're going to become self-aware and then uh, end up killing their creators. That's that's the whole, I guess, hesitation with, with AI. But I didn't think it was going to happen the way it did uh, in the fact that that Ava locks Caleb in the facility and... And goes out on her own to live a life. Uh, I didn't think that was ever gonna gonna be a possibility at all. That Caleb doesn't even get out of this um, unscathed 
uh, or whatever. But uh, to speak to your epilogue comment earlier, Brian, I thought the film should have ended at Nathan dies, Kyoko and Ava kill Nathan, Uh, Ava locks Caleb into the facility, and uh, she steps on the elevator, and the elevator door closes, and that's the end of the movie. I didn't like the whole her going up to the to the real world and uh, having a little, you know, dance with the butterflies type sequence at the very end. You know, like you said, the last 30 seconds of, of the film, I could have done without. I thought it should have ended when you know she's, she's leaving without him and without anyone else. And she's going to, to live on her own. So that's what I, that's how I wanted it to end, but I'm clearly, clearly insane. Or for, no, I mean, for criticizing me no, into this. <laughs> no, you're fine. It's just I, I, I think that last whatever thirty seconds didn't really impact to me one way or the other. I thought it was a, I thought the twist was her leaving him in there, which was such a right, not yeah, and, and blockbustery exact- sort of move to make, which was great. Right. So you're right. Like it could have ended right there, and it would have been fine. But, but I, it was kind of a payoff to an earlier line in the movie of you know her wanting to go and stand at a traffic intersection, and so I was fine with that. I just it just didn't it didn't impact me one way or the other. Uh, but you're right; it could it could have ended thirty seconds. Yeah, or a it got way later. too philosophical for me at the end when you know they mention you know Dom Hugleason has a has a dialogue with her about the color of the sky and and all that and. And we get that at the end, which is fine. But it was just a little too sweet for me for this type of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you said, I didn't expect her to lock him in there. And when she did, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, see, yeah. And then I, the door closes. I, I think and that that's kind of took away any – I, I kind of thought that that took away any sweetness whatsoever. Because like, to me, I, I, her standing there watching people – kind of left me with the ominous feeling of like, okay, well she's going to destroy the world in the next whatever many years. Like that's, that's kind of yeah. where I went with it more so than like, Oh look, she got to fulfill her dream of watching people. I, I saw it as, well, we're going to be in the matrix in 15 years, you know, or something, something to that. effect. Oh, I, 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 saw, um, I saw it as her going and trying to blend in with humanity and not be noticed as an AI. But that's, that's a crazy way to think about it is her going to seek revenge on humanity Yeah, <laughs> for I, putting, I, that, for that, making Maybe her. that's just, maybe I'm just yeah. putting, I don't know too many, but that, that's how I took it. Yeah. I, I didn't find any sweetness or relief in that at all. I thought, well, we're screwed. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> I thought that was kind of how we were ending that, but, well, but this maybe is that's a, the, you know, this is this works very well as a standalone, but I would definitely see a sequel to this if if at all possible. I, I think that would be something I would I would for sure see. But let's move on to grades, guys. I'm going to give Ex Machina a solid A. This was uh, very memorable to me. This is a movie I'm going to check out multiple times after the fact. Going to purchase, do all that, and you know, great start to the year, Oscar Isaac and Dom um, Gleason. It's it's only going to get better from here, believe it or not for them to. Sure. So this was, this was great. And I will not be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the we, di- we didn't talk nearly enough about Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oscar was, Isaac is great. He in was this movie very good. And in literally everything he does, he is a fantastic actor. He, he is. And something I also didn't mention was the, the score of this was great. I thought the music yeah. was, was fantastic at setting the tone, setting the mood, uh, of of this world and 
you know, very rarely we talk scores, but we only talk about them when they're great. And this one was was fantastic. I would love to hear the soundtrack to this. Yeah. So, uh, the um, choppy score with with the Diet Woods music, though. <laughs> in your opinion. Um, it's probably still – I mean that's going to win the Oscar, right? And right. they'll probably perform a lot of it live at the Oscars. So that will be good. This will be in play – at the end of the year, I, I this is a dark horse. You think so? Nominee. Okay. I, I, I mean, think I so. think it's definitely deserving, but the the politics of that are always interesting. Early, yeah. early films we saw with uh, with the Grand Budapest Hotel last year definitely have a chance of winning a lot of awards, and this would would certainly be in the production design award, I'd imagine. But I, it's not a huge name behind it directing right. it, so right. exactly. I think Oscar Isaac might have enough. Uh, clout behind his name mm-hmm. at the end of the year with star wars that yeah. uh you know in the same vein that mcconaughey had in the mcconaissance year you know mud was really great this time of year but dallas yeah. buyers club came out and re and re uh, sort of brought his name to the table and of course dallas buyers club is a superior performance but that something similar might happen with oscar isaac be like man this guy is great oh let's remember that movie that came out a couple months ago you know, and, and maybe I'm not saying he'll get right. a best actor nomination, but I think it'll make the film, it'll bring the film more into people's minds. And and this will be out. This will play very well on a screener. This will be out on DVD and Blu-ray by yeah. then, and all. I think this has, is going to get a big, pretty strong buzz because sci-fi is hard to do in a, a best picture type film. I don't, mm. I don't know about any others this year coming out like this. Um, you know. We we talked about if Star Wars is the, could be a Best Picture nominee, uh, which is certainly possible. I guess nothing's out of, out of the realm of possibility with with the Academy these days. But this this has a chance just because it's so original and so so different. And you know you only get something like her once every ten years. And this this could be the new uh, the a new age of sci fi. I, I guess you could say. So sure. I give it an A. Brian, what do you give it? Uh, it's right on the the line between A and A minus for me. I thought the production design that you mentioned earlier was fantastic. The acting is really good. Um, you know, there's there's a few things tonally that weren't quite my cup of tea, but I love the 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 thriller element, and uh, so I'm I'm very impressed. I I too will watch it again, and uh, yeah, it could it could make my my top ten list. This could definitely be a movie that I see myself liking more as I go away from it. So uh, I'll go A minus for right now, but I I wouldn't be surprised myself if I bumped it up a notch uh, later in the year. Richard, I'm going to go. Oh, this is, I'm kind of with Brian. I, I Brian, I'm right, probably close to you. So yeah. you you went. So Kent goes with a strong 95. Right, ninety five sure. or ninety six with yeah. the A. You probably yeah. go ninety three because you're just on the minus stage. Yeah, something like that. Ninety one to ninety three range, sure. And I would probably go ninety four. So I'm on the low end of an A, but I'm going to go just regular A. Cool. Okay, so break it down even further. Right, it was those good. Are good enough. <laughs> I like it. Yep. Well, this was good. I if if this yeah. is one of the. If this doesn't make the cut for Best Picture, it's going to be a good year. That's all I got to say. Sure. Uh, sure. This is going to be fun uh, to see and, and see where it goes later on. So let's give a few recommends, guys. Weekly recommends. Richard, go ahead and start it. Sure. Uh, mine is one I've definitely recommended before, but we are uh, uh, 
on the last legs of Mad Men, and I've been catching up all weekend, getting it going. It's the show I've spent the most amount of time with over the years. Uh, I, I think it's probably my favorite, certainly my favorite drama ever, uh, and I, I love it dearly, and I love so many characters on it. And I'm sad to see them go, but uh, it's, it's been enjoyable thus far. And, and some, Ken, I know you haven't totally caught up yet. You've seen a season or two, and Brian is, is I think, kind of along with me. But uh, yeah. just a great show, and it, it will be – it's weird. Uh, it's def- certainly not defining of its era in any way, but because of the time in which it's placed, placed and um, – the attention to the detail and the production value. It is a timeless show that I think will have sure. longer legs than most shows of its era. So uh, it's certainly one you could probably check out at any time. But if you haven't gotten into it, get into it. It's 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 certainly a slow burn, but you have to look at it for what it is. And I I, I really mean this. And I was talking with my girlfriend about this last night that I really think it's one of the best dark comedies ever. And it's really not a true drama. It's really pretty funny there's three or four chuckles every episode and there's a lot of drama as well and it's it's moving in so many ways but uh you have to the plot moves slowly but you have to appreciate the wit and and how good every performance is um from from obviously yeah. john ham and and john slatterly to um elizabeth moss who's brilliant and vincent Carthizer and and a million other actors along the way are all fantastic and Christina Hendricks and so uh, definitely January Jones so <laughs> I could go all night I could go all night but it's uh, it's the deepest show probably of all time on in terms yeah. of talent and uh, and a great show so that's my weekly recommend Mad Men if you haven't started start it if you gave up on it start it again it's worth your time it's a right. fantastic show I think we might Richard we might have to take Kent up on his offer and just do you and I do a, a 30 minute postmortem and and can't just has just record and and leave us alone or something (laughs) yeah i'm with you i i am too behind that'll be this last week i was catching up on americans this week hopefully it will be will be mad men so uh i every episode that i watch it makes it harder to not say like that's the best show of all time so i'm we we may need to to discuss that. But yeah, that's a, that's a great recommend. Uh, I'm going to recommend a project. Um, I went to school, I went to college in this little middle of nowhere, Arkansas town called Searcy. Um, and I have a very complicated relationship with my alma mater, but, um, in Searcy, which is like somewhere between 20 and 25,000 people, it's a tiny little town. Uh, but, but good people, they have this really cool little downtown area like most towns of this sort do and uh they have a they have a one screen theater uh which is a rialto which is a pretty pop was a pretty popular theater in the 50s um it's like a majestic if you don't know what a rialto is it's it's the same type of thing um and i watch a ton of movies there they they don't run first run movies cuz those are too expensive to get um uh, but it's it's a cool atmosphere and i'm a huge fan of i like Look, when I go see a movie, we all we all go see it in the biggest screen we can get and, you know, nice seats and all that sort of stuff. And that's fantastic. But there's there's value to me in the the one or two screen theater in a small town. Like I just I don't know, for whatever reason, it's kind of like a a romanticism of that. 
Um, but I love that sort of stuff. So anyway, it's a fairly rundown theater. And uh, just last yesterday, I saw that they have started a a, a GoFundMe to uh, to try to raise money to to refurbish it and get it back to its its former glory. Um, and I just felt like that was such a you're probably the listener. You're probably never going to go to Cersei, Arkansas. There's really nothing for you to go there for. But uh, it is a it's a cool project, and I think that stuff is important to try to keep. Um, small independent theaters going, whether it's uh, an old classic Rialto or you know just the average spare theater in a in a small town. I, just, I think that stuff is very important. So uh, I, I I threw a few, a few bucks their way, and I'm gonna I'm gonna send the link to Kent. He'll put it up on the website. Um, there's millions of things that you could be donating to right now, and I totally understand that. But uh, if you do have a few bucks lying around and you you want to fund. In my mind, this is kind of like funding independent cinema in a way because you're you're keeping films uh, going in a, in an area that otherwise might not have it. So if if you have a few bucks that you could throw their way, uh, I'm sure they would really appreciate it. And just check the website, and I'll tweet it out a couple times over the next few days. And uh, but I, we, we'd really love your your support on that. We have some breaking news, fellas. Yeah, and we can talk about this now. Luckily, when we're we- on a podcast and news breaks regarding things we talk about, we can talk about them immediately. So we have some breaking news regarding the acquisition of Seinfeld to oh. streaming television. Uh-oh. A deal has come down within the past three minutes. Seinfeld is landing on Hulu in a record-breaking deal worth an estimated $180 million, which comes at just Sheesh. just under a million per episode. Uh, for streaming, we we talked about it being a half a million an episode, and that being ridiculous. I think Friends was a couple hundred thousand dollars per episode, and uh, so you know Seinfeld will be on Hulu now uh, for for streaming. So I guess I have to get a Hulu account now. I've been putting it <laughs> off. The fact that they had Criterion on there has been very tempting for me to do that, and and to be able to have all the Criterion collection and at my disposal and. They do have some good syndication opportunities on Hulu, but Seinfeld might put them over the top for me sure. as far as something I need to get. So that's pretty crazy. So uh, I wanted to, to let the listeners know about that uh, because we probably wouldn't get to talk about that next week uh, when we talk Avengers. But insane, insane yeah. amount of money. Nuts. Good to see Jerry and Larry make some some bank off that show finally. <laughs> yeah. I'll Did lose- you get to see Jerry on Letterman the other night? Have you watched that? Yeah. Yet? Yeah. It was fantastic. You should watch that. It very Brian. Good. It's one of the best. Meant to first record. off Seinfeld did his, the standup he did the first time he was on Letterman in the eighties and he did it again and didn't say anything about it. Just came out and did it. It shows how same, timeless, routine, same routine. Yeah. Yeah. It shows how timeless a lot of his stuff is. Cause it was, I was still like laughing really hard. And then the interview, they switched places, and uh, Jay, I mean Dave, uh, rather sorry, Jerry. And I thought, yeah, I know in there. Um, Jerry interviewed uh, Dave a little bit, and it was, you know, always fantastic. It made Those me realize are, that Jerry should do a late night show. Like, <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't need the money. Oh, not at all. But I would he love should do to see the. That. I love if he did the Neil Patrick Harris bit like Sunday nights once yeah. a week. Yeah, he'd be great at that, but. When he tried that before, we got. He kind of does draft. that though with comedians and cars. He does, that is kind <laughs> yeah. of a talk show. Yeah, it is it's his own talk and show. It's his own thing, and it's makes no money and is ridiculous. Oh, it makes a lot of money. You no, mean, I know it, it's a. Uh, 
the Acura sponsorship is huge. Sure. They, they spend over, uh, you know, a couple of th- hundred thousand dollars per episode producing comedians and cars. I don't yeah, see how that's possible. I'm sure they give everybody that's on it a fat paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. any any of his friends that Have come on. Have you seen the uh, the lineup for this season? Well, you can, no, I, no, I haven't. Hold on. Uh, well, give your weekly recommend and then I, I will. Yeah, uh, it just, my weekly recommend just came on Netflix and it's something I own on Blu-ray and, and it's something people need to check out. It came out a few years ago to much, much hype. And it's a BBC documentary series called Planet Earth. I don't know if you have seen it, oh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's totally. very National Geographic like uh, nature documentary series, but it's National Geographic times a thousand as far as uh, the complication of what the uh, the the shots that they get and the um, the links that they go to to uh, put this thing together is just astounding. And David Attenborough is the narrator. And, you know, RIP, sir, Mr. David Attenborough is is great. Mm. The best narrator maybe of all time, especially Mm. for documentaries. And, uh, and so planet earth is just mind blowing. And there's one called Ahmad best, but besides there's, there's one called life too. That's also Mm. very good. That's uh, more about animal life than it is about the planet earth itself. And they go into the different animal categories, reptiles, mammals, fish, et cetera. And and they're both great. They're both now on Netflix uh, as of the past week. So probably got a good, you know, couple months to a year to check those out. But if you haven't seen Planet Earth, it's great, and and it's it'll it'll change your view of the world, if you will. So so check that out, sure. Brian. It's I great. guess you liked it. We, we yeah. should mention we should mention David Attenborough not dead. What? Richard Richard At- Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, sorry, David. Uh, <laughs> sorry Go we ahead. tried to kill you off there but so, uh. so, so the lineup for the sixth season of comedians and car getting coffee i think might be the best yet so you're gonna get ready to be excited kent especially so premieres june carrot 4th carrot top carrot top yeah carrot top <laughs> uh ralphie may Larry the cable guy no as long as he doesn't have that terrible miranda girl on there he had that on her on yeah. there last season didn't yeah. he yeah no it's better than awful. last season Jim Carrey, Stephen Colbert, Steve Harvey, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Bill Maher, and new Daily Show host Trevor Noah. That's pretty nice. solid. That's pretty solid. I think the Steve Harvey one will be sneakily the best. Oh yeah. I'd like to go get yeah. coffee with Steve Harvey. Yeah. Jim Carrey would be is going to be interesting too. I want to yeah, see him in a he'll probably like try to break down the philosophy of coffee and then try to entertain everyone in the coffee shop They'll just do by the doing annoying sound in the world the entire <laughs> car ride colbert will be interesting that'll be kind of colbert's coming out party as stephen colbert yep. and not as stephen colbert yep <laughs> you're right so on that note guys brian where can i find you online you can find me on the twitter at bgill12 richard where can we find you you can find me on twitter at richard barden or at richardbarden.com. kent where can i find you on Twitter at Kent Garrison, find all of our episodes on our website at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Like I said earlier, only our most recent 100 will show up on iTunes. If you like what we do, leave us five stars on the iTunes as well. Contact the show on the website. Just click contact and that form goes straight to us. And if you like what we do, you can uh, help keep the show going by donating at our website. And the donate button is right there in the middle of the front page. And on that note, guys, until next time, I will see you at the show.
Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya-ya Salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. 